Good evening, everyone, and welcome or welcome back to the Summer School Theme Talks for 2021. This is our third talk this week, following excellent talks from Joe James and Shana Parvin-Begum. I'm very much looking forward to hearing from Rory Castle-Jones this evening, and I'll introduce him properly when I've just run through some notices. I'm welcoming you on behalf of all of the Summer School panel in alphabetical order by surname this time, just to shake things up a bit. We are Michael Allard, Jane Blackall, Kate Brady McKenna and Nicola Temple. Unless I gather middle names for tomorrow night, Nicola, I'm sorry, you're always going to be the last on the list. You are all welcome here, no matter what you've brought with you, no matter where you are, and no matter how many of these talks you've experienced in the past. We gather from all over the place and we gather at our desks, our kitchen tables, our sofas, our beds, our gardens, our offices. It doesn't matter where or from how, how or from where we gather. It matters that we gather. You probably know our overall theme this week is why are we here? Discerning our Unitarian mission in an upturned world. And each of our speakers has been invited to bring their own particular take on this topic. It is a fantastic opportunity to, for us all to be able to ponder questions more deeply than we get the chance to in a normal sermon. I have some housekeeping announcements. If you've been to other sessions this week, you will be becoming familiar with these, but they are important to make sure that we all get what we need from the sessions and they may be new to some of you. We are recording this session. If that causes you any concerns, you can just turn your camera off and there's no way you'll appear on the recordings. The chat function. It has been lovely to see your greetings as you came in this evening, really, really lovely. But from now on, please don't use it. We want people to be able to listen to the talk without distraction and any questions that crop up during the talk can be raised in the group chats afterwards. I don't know if Rory is going to ask you to use the chat at any stage. If he does, obviously, obey Rory, not me. Uh, but if that does happen, then please only use it in the way that Rory asks you to. Subtitles are available. You should be able to turn them on and off somewhere in your app or on your web page, depending on how you're joining us. The subtitles are generally accurate, but they are live and they are automatically generated. So there may be some issues with particular words. I do apologize if that happens. I know that it does lessen the accessibility of the talk for some people, but we can't control that. And they do tend to get ironed out by the time they appear on the YouTube recording. The other thing to tell you in terms of subtitles is that some of what Rory says is going to be in Welsh. We don't think that the Zoom subtitles will um, allow for that. So what the subtitles will do, I don't know. Throughout the evening, please do what you need to do to be comfortable. You may want to turn your camera off for a while or stretch or move around. If whatever you need to do means you miss some of the talk, it will be available, uh, certainly by breakfast, possibly by bedtime uh, for you to watch then. Please remember that even if you can only see the speaker, if your camera is on, we can see you. So please turn it off if you're moving around. Please don't take us wandering around your house with us. We do want to see what's on your bookshelves, but 
we'll ask you to send us photos of that at another point. Turn your camera off if you're doing anything other than just sitting and watching. We also know there are reasons you may need to leave before the end. Again, watch out for the YouTube recording and know we do understand you may need to leave and you do go with our blessing. We will be monitoring what's going on in the Zoom screens during the session. So if anything untoward does happen, we'll deal with it promptly. There's much less incident now of Zoom bombing, but we will have our eyes open. Part of our summer school ethos when we meet in person or when we meet here on Zoom is to receive these talks as open and generous spiritual offerings from the speaker. They do take spiritual and emotional energy and they are presented as precious gifts to this community. For that reason, we don't have Q&A or discussions after the talk. After the talk and after a break, the chat will be open for you to show your appreciation to Rory. And we hope that you'll use the groups as a continuation of the talk itself. The chat is not for critique or debate and neither, is the, the, and neither are the breakout rooms. So you know the pattern of the evening. After the talk, we will take a short break to stretch or put the kettle on. And then for those of you who wish to join us, we'll gather again in here before popping you into those small groups for conversations. We'll give you some prompt questions to discuss and we'll give you those at the end. You might like to scribble them down. The groups won't be recorded or monitored, though it's possible one or two of the panel may pop in. As before, uh, as has been the case other evenings this week, Michael Alert and I will be available from the end of the session until about 9.45 this evening. So if you'd like a pastoral discussion, you're welcome to contact one of us. You will have had our contact details in your joining email. So get in touch and then we can work out what's best, what's the best way for us to contact you. So the housekeeping done, we are here this evening to receive the gift of the talk offered to us by Rory Castle-Jones. And Rory tells us this about himself. Rory Castle-Jones is Minister-Elect of Gethleon and Unitarian. I managed Gethleon and I didn't manage Unitarian. I've been practicing. Gethleon and Unitarian Chapel in the Swansea Valley and also works part-time as communications officer for the General Assembly of Unitarian and Free Christian Churches. Rory first discovered Unitarianism in 2015 when searching for a chapel willing to conduct same-sex marriage ceremonies. He married his husband at Gethleon and Chapel in 2016 and became involved in congregational life. In 2018, he gave up his job in higher education to work full-time for the Unitarian movement and to train for the Unitarian Ministry with Unitarian College, completing his training in summer 2021. He lives in the small village of Craig Keffen Park in the Swansea Valley with his husband, Reese, and their dog, Edna. Good evening, everyone. It's lovely to see you all. We're going to begin uh, with these words um, as our chalice candle is lit for us. They're words from the Reverend Andy Pakula, first in Welsh and then in English, after which we will have some music um, and you'll see a video uh, which shows the chapel where I am privileged to be the minister um, in Gethlionen, as Kate very nicely pronounced.
Gadewch i'r golau hon, ein hatgoffa o flam sanctaidd bywyd, sy'n tanio oedd i mewn i ni. Sy'n gyson, ond yn newid yn barhaol, llosgi, ond byth yn cael e ddihoini. O golau mewnol enaig ac ysbryd, arwain ein meddylia at wellt ddealltwriaeth. Arwain ein calonau i garu yn llawnach, ac arwain ein doilo i greu cyfiawnder. Let this light remind us of the sacred flame of life that blazes within. Constant yet ever-changing, burning yet never consumed. O inner light of soul and spirit, lead our minds to greater understanding. Lead our hearts to love more fully and lead our hands to create justice.
Gesjonin Chapel and the surrounding Welsh landscape there, accompanied by the Phoenix Welsh Male Voice Choir singing Calon Lan. The words of the first verse of that hymn, Nidwin Govin Bawid Moithis, I Rabid Nai Berlai Man, Govin Oivam Galon Hapis, Calon Honest, Calon Lan. In English, it means something like, I don't ask for a luxurious life, the world's gold or its fine pearls. I ask for a happy heart, an honest heart, a pure heart. And now these words by the late Welsh Unitarian minister, the Reverend Jacob Davis, translated into English by Reverend Melda Grantham. If you've ever seen the tender light in a mother's eyes as she cradles her newborn after the storm of birth, if you've seen the wonder and the gratitude combined in her joyful gaze as she holds her tiny precious gift, then you believe. If as a small child, you were ever lost in a large crowd and felt the panic as you searched for your mother's face and listened desperately for her voice, then felt the relief when you felt the warmth of her hand taking yours. Then you believe. If you've ever found yourself alone on top of a mountain in silence as immense as the sky above, if you've realized your own insignificance compared to the enormity of the majestic silent universe, then you believe. If you've ever lost yourself in the caverns of your memory, unable to negotiate the cul-de-sacs of your confused mind, if you've ever taken a leap of faith which defies all logic, if you've asked the night for a star and received it, then you believe. If you've ever been moved to write a poem or felt the ecstasy when words come together through love to create an idea, if you've listened to the music of an old melody that speaks to you with tongues of men and of angels, then you believe. If you have been so near to pain, so near that you felt the agony, even though it's not in your own flesh. If the struggling ebb and flow of a loved one's breath has tortured your ears, then you believe. If you have a dream that doesn't disappear in the morning, that isn't destroyed by the scorn of the unbeliever, if you know that this dream has possessed you so that you would commit your soul to it, then you believe. If you have seen such great joy that it overcomes all disappointment and misery, and if this joy has been a candle for you in the dark nights of your own sadness, you believe. If you've ever been betrayed in your efforts, if your friends have left you 
at the mercy of the attacking mob, but one remains at your side to the bitter end. Then you believe. Words of the Reverend Jacob Davis. And now one more piece of music to end these opening devotions before I begin my talk this evening. Beth am gynetan fel y tân yn llun Beth am gynetan fel y tân yn llun Tân yn ein calon a thân yn ein gwaith Tân yn ein crefydd a thân dros ein hiaith Beth am gynetan fel y tân yn llun Beth am gynetan fel y tân yn llun Tân yn ein calon a thân yn ein gwaith Tân yn ein crefydd a thân dros ein hiaith Tân, 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 tân Beth am gynnau tân fel y tân yn llun DJ Saunders a Valentine Dyna i chi dan gynhywyd gan y rhain Tân yn y gogledd yn y mestyn lawr dde Tân oedd yn gyffro drwy bob lle Beth am gynnau tân fel y tân yn llun Beth am gynnau tân fel y tân yn llun Tân yn ein calon a thân yn ein gwaith Tân yn ein crefydd a thân dros ein hiaith Tân, 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 tân Beth am gynnau tân fel y tân yn llun Gwlad yn wenfla mor ffyn i'r môr Gobaith yn ei frotest a'r rhyddi dyddi'n stôr Calonau neu rias i union i'r tân A'r gwreichion yn llun wedi ennyn y fla Beth am gynnau tân fel y tân yn llun Tân yn ein calon a thân yn ein gwaith Tân yn ein crefydd a thân dros ein hiaith Tân, 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 tân Beth am gynnau tân fel y tân yn llun Mae'r tân ac yn hyrwyd gynt I ffodwyd gan y glaw A chwalwyd gan y gwynt A'i yn ofer yr aberth A'i yn ofer y ffyrdd Y cawsau'r fflam Eu hael gynnau'r ddiwd i Beth am gynnau tân Fel y tân yn llun Beth am gynnau tân Fel y tân yn llun Tân yn ein calon A thân yn ein gwaith Tân yn ein crefydd a thân dros ein hiaith Tân, 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 tân Beth am gynnau tân fel y tân yn llun Beth am gynnau tân fel y tân yn llun
in my talk this evening, over the next uh, about 40 minutes, I want to explore why we are here. Why as Unitarians, free Christians, people of faith, we gather together in community. I want to ask this question while interweaving some stories from the Welsh Unitarian radical past, which may help illuminate some ways forward for us all in the 21st century. But before I delve in, for those amongst us tonight who might not know much or anything about Unitarianism in Wales, I want to read a short extract from the history of Welsh Unitarianism by Dr. Elwyn Davis, which gives me the title of my talk tonight. He wrote, it can be said that Unitarianism in Wales is of a special brand because although it reflects in mood and movement what transpired over the border in England and on the continent, its character was moulded in the hands of a minority people whose everyday life was mingled with poems and poetry, songs and suffering, and who could proclaim the newer ideas of Priestley and Martineau, Channing and Parker, in one of the oldest languages in Europe. The Unitarianism of the old agricultural counties of Cardiganshire and Carmarthenshire has always been tinged with a certain quality of unhurried stability that is only known to people who live near the soil. On the other hand, the Unitarianism produced by the fearless and fervent folk of Glamorgan is tempered with vitality and enthusiasm only known to those who live by the furnace and the mine. Those words from Dr. Elwyn Davis. And it's to those people, those fearless and fervent folk with their poems and poetry and songs and suffering that my talk tonight is devoted because I believe that their stories can help us to discern our sacred mission in the 21st century. The question chosen by the summer school panel, why are we here, is definitely the right one for us to be asking, I think. And for me personally, I've been thinking about that question quite a lot recently as I'm at the end of my ministerial training um, and looking ahead to my service of ordination, which is in about 10 days time, and looking forward to becoming a Unitarian minister, a vocation which was described by the late Reverend Jacob Davis as the most glorious occupation a man or woman could ever desire. There's an advert for Unitarian College to put on their website. Well, back in 1965, Reverend Jacob Davis who was a household name in Wales for his radio and television uh, appearances, addressed the Unitarian General Assembly's annual meetings in Swansea. And in a very powerful sermon, which was published afterwards by the Lindsay Press, and you can read on the Unitarian's website today, Reverend Davis told British Unitarians about the many challenges faced by British society in the 1960s. Everything from declining church attendance to social breakdown, poverty, homelessness, 
uh, all the way up to the terrifying threat of nuclear war. He preached, this is the moment of choice, telling his audience that it was a matter of challenge and response. The challenges were clear and they were numerous and the response was up to them. Well, Reverend Jacob Davis's message is as true today, I think, as it was in 1965. Some of the challenges that they faced then are still with us today. Others have faded and other new challenges, of course, have emerged, like the terrible threat of climate change. Many of the things that were predicted by Reverend Davis about the future of the church back in the 60s have come true today. And I want to use those now to just briefly sketch out the context, as I see it, in which we as people of faith are working in Britain in 2021. Firstly, traditional churches of all denominations are dying out and the pandemic has undoubtedly hastened that process. This is true for Unitarians as much as it is for all of the other old church denominations. Secondly, these old denominational divisions within Christianity have become pretty much irrelevant to the vast majority of British people today. Many of the more successful churches are mergers of those different old denominations. Basically, people aren't very interested in theological disputes over trifling matters between increasingly shrinking denominations. As Jacob Davis put it in 1965, the ordinary human being looks not for arguments that Unitarianism or Methodism is right, but for spiritual support in his never-ending strife with adverse circumstances. There are no sects in a speeding ambulance. There is no division of humanity in a hospital ward at the dead of night. And whilst that is true, and despite that growing irrelevance of those old denominational lines for most people, the diversity of theology and social attitudes within the Christian church in Britain today remains staggering in many ways. A particularly important area, which is an indicator for many people of a church's overall outlook, is a church's attitude towards uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender people, LGBT people. And Christian churches in our country today vary from the totally inclusive to the appallingly exclusive. Thirdly, most people in our society today are not part of a church or a religious community. The spiritual side of many people's lives are not being fulfilled, but they certainly don't imagine that they will find what they need in old-fashioned churches or chapels with their strong associations with sexist and homophobic and bigoted attitudes. And what about the wider context in which we live in our society today? We live in a society centered around work and money and profit, and we're causing 
enormous and perhaps irreversible damage to the natural world around us, causing changes to our planet, which are wiping out entire species already and will result in major problems, to say the least, for humanity, like refugee crises, conflicts, droughts, famines, mass displacement of people. And I think that Stephen Lingwood is going to talk more about the climate crisis in his talk tomorrow. And so in this context, what are we as people of faith, whether Christian or otherwise, called to do in the world? Why are we here? I want to explore now some key areas of importance, telling some stories from our radical past to help us find ways forward. And these will include climate change, refugees, national identity, inclusivity and community. I then want to show you one vision of what a Unitarian Church of the future might look like before drawing some conclusions about our mission and why we are here. First, I want to address what I think is the most important challenge facing us all, and that's climate change. But to begin, I want to take you, perhaps surprisingly, to a small market town in South Wales 230 years ago. In the 1790s, in one of history's great periods of upheaval, the time of the French Revolution and great radicalism in Britain, one of the founders of Welsh Unitarianism, Yolo Morganog, the great bard, was running a bookshop in the small Welsh town of Cowbridge. Unlike his competitors, Yolo refused to sell unethical goods like sugar, from the slave plantations of, West, of the West Indies. Controversially in his shop window was a sign advertising treats made with sugar from the East Indies where slave labor was not used with the following words, East India sweets, uncontaminated by human gore. This shocking advertising message, which must have stopped passers-by in their tracks, reminds me of the Extinction Rebellion protests today, with their shocking messages of global extinction, with slogans like, tell the truth, act now, join the rebellion, making people stop in their tracks and face the prospect of extinction, not only for animal and plant species, but for humanity itself. One of Yolo Morganog's famous slogans was Aguir an Erbin Abid, the truth against the world. And again, this reminds me of the Extinction Rebellion slogan, simple but compelling, to just tell the truth. Once, Yolo Morganog is said to have placed a book in his shop window with a cover labeled The Rights of Man. And at the time, Thomas Paine's revolutionary book, The Rights of Man, was banned in Britain because of its promotion of dangerous ideas like democracy and liberty. And so, on seeing this book, one of Yolo's opponents rushed into the shop to buy the book, 
hoping then to take this damning evidence straight to the police station. But when he opened the cover of the book, he was dismayed to see that the book labelled The Rights of Man was in fact not a work by Thomas Paine, but the Holy Bible. Having the last laugh as usual, mischievous Yolo had made the point that if we want to find a book advocating freedom and love and justice, we don't need to look very far. We have the Bible at our fingertips. Surrounded by businesses profiting from the most appalling human slavery, Yolo Morganog took a stand and did things differently, backed up by the greatest book for the rights of humanity, the Bible. Today, undoubtedly, our greatest challenge is the climate crisis. And for me, there is so much to learn from Yolo Morganog, speaking the truth to power, stopping people in their tracks, being unafraid to be controversial, maybe even unpopular if necessary. The climate crisis presents us with many practical challenges, but also with emotional, psychological and spiritual challenges too. It forces us to reassess not only how we live and how we work, but our faith and our theology as well. In the 1790s, a world without slavery perhaps seemed unimaginable to most people in Britain, just as a world in which we put nature and human well-being above human greed might seem unimaginable to us today. I think that our job as people of faith is to imagine the unimaginable. Frank Lloyd Wright, the great architect who came from a prominent Welsh American Unitarian family, famously said, I believe in God, only I spell it N-A-T-U-R-E, nature. Inextricably linked with the climate crisis is another crisis of our time that I'd like to talk about tonight, or more accurately, a series of crises, which Shana talked about in her uh, theme talk last night, the refugee crisis. Although people are compelled to flee their homelands for many different reasons, as the impact of climate change is felt more and more, many predict that mass displacement and more frequent and dramatic refugee crises are coming. What role can we play in helping those who are forced to become refugees? And what can we learn from stories from our radical past? One of the greatest Welsh Unitarians, and perhaps one of the least well-known, was the Reverend Rosalind Lee. I'm claiming her as Welsh because although she was actually from Birmingham, she came to Wales in the 1920s, one of the earliest women ministers, and she made her home in uh, Swansea. A formidable woman, 
when sitting on the interview panel for new ministers, she asked only one question of the trembling candidates. Are you able to stand on your hind legs, young man? As an English-born female minister working in the South Wales Valleys at the height of the Great Depression, Reverend Lee certainly knew all about the importance of a minister being able to stand up tall on their hind legs with courage in their convictions. And she knew a lot about getting things done. In the late 1930s, with the rise of the Nazis, Reverend Rosalind Lee left Britain and went to Prague, where she spearheaded the rescue of a large number of Jewish child refugees. Before and during the war, she campaigned tirelessly for bringing Jewish and other refugees to Britain in the face of often very hostile and openly anti-Semitic reactions. In March 1939, writing from Prague to the British Unitarian movement back home, Reverend Lee appealed with these words, which echo down to us through the ages. She wrote, In the name of humanity, these unhappy people must be got away quickly. Have we any right to sit by with folded hands and accept this as history? Our ancestors had a reputation for humanitarian ideals, an interest in civil and religious liberty. When the history of this time is written, shall it be said that we looked on calmly? Or shall we be counted amongst those who put humanity first and practice their principles of world brotherhood? It is for us to decide by our action here and now what will be the verdict of history. Those powerful words from the Reverend Rosalind Lee from March 1939, the eve of the Second World War and the Holocaust. Among the millions of Jewish and other refugee uh, victims rather, of the Holocaust were many who had been refused asylum in Britain and elsewhere, even being sent back on ships and trains into the hands of the Nazis. In the midst of recurring refugee crises in our time from Syria, from Afghanistan. Rosalind Lee's question from 1939 feels to me equally important today. What are we doing? What can we do? What should we do? I think that we can draw on the biblical imperative to welcome and feed and clothe the stranger to love our neighbour and draw on the inspiring example of Reverend Rosalind Lee to help us find ways, whether great or small, to help refugees in our own local communities or on the other side of the world. And I think and believe that this is very possible because I see it happening already in some of our churches here in Wales and elsewhere in Britain too, like in Ullit Road, with the Church Rebels Football Club for Refugees and Asylum Seekers in Liverpool. 
I want to turn now from the refugee crisis to the question of national identity. One thing which is very different, I think, about Welsh Unitarianism from English Unitarianism is that here in Wales, it's strongly connected to the Welsh language and culture and national identity. Many of our founding fathers and mothers, people like Yola Morganog, Thomas Glyncothy and Josiah Rees played a hugely important role in the shaping of modern Welsh culture. In our opening tonight, we heard the song Tan and Llyn about an important moment in modern Welsh history, when in 1936, three Welsh men started a fire at the RAF bombing school on the Sheen Peninsula in North Wales in protest against militarism, and they were sent to prison for their actions. They weren't Unitarians, but religion played a big role in their motivation. In the 20th century, many Welsh Unitarians started metaphorical fires of protest in their own way too, in particular in campaigning for the Welsh language to have equal status with English after many centuries of suppression and persecution. One such person was Sally Davis, a teacher from Lampeter in the heart of the Smotin D, the black spot of Unitarianism in West Wales. In the 1960s, Sally rose to national prominence when she took a stand for her civil rights and those of her fellow countrymen and women. After a long career in teaching, Sally retired and she received her pension forms from the state. They arrived only in English and Sally politely wrote back requesting the forms in her own language, in Welsh. The state refused. And so Sally declared that she would live without her pension until Welsh language forms were made available to her. It may seem like a small matter, but it was a point of principle and part of a much wider campaign to demand linguistic and cultural rights, which had long been withheld. Sally's case became symbolic of that struggle, and eventually she won her case in 1966, just one of many battles which had to be fought over many decades to secure recognition and support for the Welsh language. Her story, I think, can help us as we navigate the complex national identities of the four nations which make up the UK today, as our union looks ever more fragile and unsteady. In the song that we heard earlier, we find the words, Bitham gonna tan vela tan and sheen, tan and in calon, a than and in gwaith, tan and in crevice. A than dros in hiaith. Why not light a fire like the fire in Llyn? Fire in our hearts, fire in our work, fire in our religion, and fire for our language. That fire is a thread which runs through Welsh history and through the history of Welsh Unitarianism, from its 
radical birth in the late 1700s through the Industrial Revolution and the painful struggles of the 20th century too. With fire, of course, comes danger and the potential for trouble, but fire also brings light and it brings warmth and it can help show us the way forward. One of our challenges today, I think, is rediscovering that flame. I want to say a little bit now about inclusivity, a topic covered by Shana in her talk last night, as she explored how our congregations can become truly welcoming and inclusive places. In particular, I'd like to talk about inclusivity of lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender or LGBT people. Welsh Unitarians, as elsewhere in Britain, have been among the first religious groups to conduct same-sex blessings, then civil partnerships, and now weddings. And I want to take the liberty now of telling my own story, which I feel a bit nervous about, not because I want to try and compare myself with the radical Welsh Unitarians of the past, but more to show how that radical tradition developed over 200 years has helped to, produ helped to produce some radically inclusive chapels in Wales today and how it can continue to do so. My own journey of faith is like many LGBT peoples. I was brought up in churches and chapels and Sunday schools and I loved it. I loved the community, I loved the stories, I loved the message. Then I hit my teenage years, realised I was gay and realised there was no place for me in my church or in any church, at least any church that I knew of. When I met my husband in my 20s, he had a similar background and experience. And when we got engaged in 2015, we both wanted a religious ceremony, which had become possible very recently. But when we searched online, we found just a handful of churches in Wales offering same-sex ceremonies. The nearest one to us was Gethlion in Chapel, a Unitarian chapel on an isolated hilltop, not too far away from our village, the one that you saw on the video in our opening devotions tonight. We made a phone call. We ventured up there one Sunday and our lives were changed forever. What we found was a chapel where we were truly welcome, where we didn't have to hide our sexuality or any aspect of ourselves. We got married there. The wedding was conducted by Reverend Eric Jones, who I see is in the audience tonight. It's lovely to have him with us. And from what I already knew about church then, and from what I've learned in the years since and during my ministry training, I see that this is gold dust, that so few churches in Britain today offer this inclusion and this welcome. And Shana, again, talked about this eloquently last night. 
In his recent book, Black, Gay, British, Christian, Queer, The Church and the Famine of Grace, the Anglican priest, Father Gerald Robinson Brown writes, am I loved? Do I have worth? Is my life worth living? These three questions are things that no human being should have to truly contemplate. Worse still, be driven to ask themselves, indeed the world, while simultaneously entertaining the very real possibility that the answer is no. Yet, these are three questions which I have in my own life asked myself. Well, like Gerald Robinson Brown, I too have asked myself those questions, as have many, perhaps most, LGBT people of faith. Am I loved? Do I have worth? Is my life worth living? Telling LGBT people, particularly Black LGBT people, Father Robinson Brown writes, that they are of value and loved by God is radical, life-saving and urgent work in a racist, transphobic and homophobic world such as this. Whilst I, of course, don't share his experience of being a Black LGBT person, I do share the experience of questioning my own value and worth in God's eyes because of my sexuality. This radical and life-saving and urgent work, telling LGBT people that they are loved and worthy of love, is for me a key part of my ministry. I count my blessings literally every day that I found an inclusive church and had my life transformed. I think that it should be a key part of all Unitarian ministry and Unitarian mission. Registering for same-sex marriage ceremonies is great. It's really, really great. It's an important step, but it's the tip of the iceberg when it comes to building a truly inclusive and welcoming church and denomination, as Shana explored last night. We truly have a lot more work to do. I'd like to talk now about community. And I'm going to invite you into the time machine again, this time back to 1876 in the small Welsh village of Fridowin. And in that village, the Unitarian congregation in 1876 and their minister, the Reverend Gwilym Marles, demanded the right to vote for who they wished to, which for many of them was a liberal candidate. But their landlord, the squire of Ashterodin, who owned the land on which their chapel was built, was a conservative. And he was furious at their refusal to vote for his preferred candidate. And so he evicted them from their beloved chapel and from its graveyard, which held the bones of their ancestors. The case immediately became a national scandal as a test case for the 
principle of the secret ballot. And the events in the village of Rirowin became known as a Troad Asham, the great eviction. On the day of the eviction itself, the minister, Gwilym Marles, turned up at the chapel to be greeted by a crowd of 3,000 Welsh women and men, determined to defend their liberty, their faith and their community. Gwilym stood with his back to the locked chapel behind him and delivered one of the most important speeches in Welsh history an impassioned defence of liberty and democracy and freedom of faith. They can take our chapel from us, Gwilym told the crowds, bursting with righteous anger and fighting back tears. And they can even take our candlesticks, but the flame and the light are gods, and that will live. Well, for Welsh Unitarians like me, that is our Braveheart moment. That's when the eyes of the world were on this tiny Unitarian chapel in rural West Wales, whose congregation had taken on the powers that be, refusing to vote the way they were told, contributing to a constitutional crisis, which helped entrench the principle of the secret ballot in Britain. And just like in Braveheart, when Mel Gibson screams, you can take our lives, but you'll never take our freedom. I'm not gonna do a Scottish accent. And hurls himself at the enemy English. Scottish hearts are, I'm sure, inflamed. When I hear those words of Gwilym Marlis, they can take our chapel, but the flame and the light are gods and will live. I feel my chest puff up a bit. I feel inspired, I feel emboldened and I feel hopeful because it's that flame not a candlestick or even a chalice which burns throughout our history and features in our symbols in our prayers in our hymns and in our imaginations in the words of one of our great ministers Elwyn Davis it's the flame of truth and the flame of love Today, the old chapel of Llanjwydewyn is one of Wales's most famous and beloved chapels. And we often love our buildings, sacred places, houses of God. But that story of Llanjwydewyn reminds us too that buildings are just bricks and mortar. They carry within them the flame of faith, hope and love when we light that flame within them. But it's the people a sacred community, not the building, however beautiful it may be, which is what really matters. Well, from those radical stories of our past, I want to turn to the future now for the short amount of time I have remaining. What might the future look like for us as Unitarians, as free Christians, as people of faith? as citizens of the UK and of members of the human race. In 10 or 20 years time, what might a Unitarian church in Britain look like? There are, of course, many different visions of the possible future, and all of us will have our own visions and prophecies and dreams. But this is my vision of one church in 20 years time. 
It might be in a beautiful, well-cared-for historic building or in a bright, attractive new space. In my vision, that doesn't seem so important because this church is focused on people and not on buildings. It's a church that meets together in various and diverse ways every day of the week in its own building, in the community space that it runs and makes available to the whole community, in its members' homes, in the cafe, in the pub, in the park. It's a church which has a lot of fun. It laughs a lot and embraces adventure. It's also a church which takes faith seriously, which takes God and Jesus and Christianity seriously, which takes other faiths seriously and takes its mission in the world seriously. There are services on a Sunday when the church comes together to laugh and to cry, to be silent and to sing, to reflect, to pray, to recharge for the week ahead. There are coffee hours and pub nights and social clubs and support groups. There are kids groups and young adult groups and groups for retired people. There's an LGBT group, a refugee group, a Welsh learners group. There's a radical Bible stories course, an Alcoholics Anonymous circle, a Buddhist meditation class, a grief support group. People in the local community bring their families and friends to the church for the important moments of their lives, births, marriages, deaths. This church used to own two fields nearby. One is now a natural burial ground where sheep graze. The other is now a fledgling forest supporting nature and giving us fresh air. And because, of course, my imaginary church is in Wales, it's bilingual, navigating two tongues. This church has a hundred members. Some take part in lots of things, some take part in what they can. Hundreds more people use the building and take part in the church's activities. The church takes a leading role in environmental work in the local area, with litter picks and tackling fly tipping, educating children about nature and working closely with those who work the land. In the preceding 20 years, the climate crisis has become important, increasingly important for this church, as they have seen wave upon wave of disasters caused by it around the world. They've seen wave two of climate refugees forced to flee their homes, some of them arriving in the area of the church. And big changes too in politics and business as the population increasingly wakes up to the unfolding disaster. At the top of the agenda for every church meeting are the words, is this helping us save the planet? and every church service begins with a prayer for Mother Earth. The Bible, with its ancient prophets and radical Jesus, are central to the life of this church. 
which seeks to build the beloved community here on earth. Loving their neighbours, forgiving each other, sharing wealth, comforting the grieving, bringing about peace, standing up for the poor, the oppressed, the downtrodden. Complementing the church's deeply held Christian faith with its Unitarian focus on the oneness of God and humanity, but welcoming a broad range of theology are the other faith traditions of the world and the humanist tradition too. It's a church based on love. And it's a church that I truly, really, really believe is possible. And I hope and pray that I will live to see it. Well, as we come to the end of our time tonight, I want to conclude and return to that big question, why are we here? And I think at the risk of sounding a little bit dramatic, that we are here to save the world. The Japanese decluttering guru, Marie Kondo, in her book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying, encourages us to hold in our hands each item that we possess, whether it's an old sock or a treasured family heirloom, and to ask, does this spark joy for me? If the answer is yes, great, hold on to it. If the answer is no, embrace the item, say thank you to it and let it go. I think that if we are to go forward as a church, we need to embrace the Marie Kondo method. I think we need to look at everything that we do as churches and as a movement and truly ask ourselves, is this helping us to save the world? If yes, great, keep on doing it. If not, say thank you and say goodbye. Let it go. Whether it's a deeply held tradition, a particular hymn book perhaps, even a building or a congregation itself. And by save the world, I don't just mean the climate crisis, although that's pretty important. I mean saving the person crippled by anxiety and loneliness. I mean the person desperate for community and connection. The young refugee family with nowhere to go. The LGBT person asking, does God love me? In this time of unparalleled danger, we need a church where we can cling together in fear and grief. We need a church where we can work in unison to prepare for what's coming, to help those hit hardest. We need a church to change the way that our entire civilization functions as it destroys our world and itself in relentless pursuit of profit. We need a church which is both sanctuary and prophetic, both a safe haven and a voice of protest. 
we need a church which can draw on several hundred years of loving community, faithful prayer and radical action to hold aloft God's flame like Gwilym Marles in the face of a world gone mad and offer hope, offer love, offer a vision of a world fundamentally and radically different from the one that we live in today. For me, as a Welsh Unitarian, I find great strength, inspiration, and importantly, challenge in the radical stories of our spiritual ancestors. Yolo Morganog with his Rights of Man Bible and Campaign Against Slavery. Frank Lloyd Wright with his understanding of God as nature. Rosalind Lee and her courageous work with refugees all those who in the 20th century pioneered LGBT inclusion. Gwilym Marlis and his congregations fearless, standing up to the powerful and corrupt. And Jacob Davis with his resounding message of hope. I want to end my talk now tonight with the words which the Reverend Jacob Davis ended his sermon to the Unitarian General Assembly way back in 1965. He said, let us commit ourselves to the utmost for once, not that we may fill the churches with people, but that when we may fill our lives with meaning. We are outward bound on the greatest adventure we have ever known. Outward bound to intensify the awareness that there is a more abundant life awaiting humanity. Are we able to provide the spiritual nursery for that eternal power of growth? Are we able to establish the church of the challenging leadership, the comforting companionship, and the tolerant fellowship. What say you? We are able. Then in the name of God, we shall. Amen to that. Well, I want to give you some time and space to reflect now and for me to breathe and have a drink of water. You're not sure who you really are When all you feel is the shape of your scars And you have more wounds than you can count Open your eyes, look all around You aren't alone, this is your
To end now, before I hand back over to Kate, I want to invite you into a short time of prayer. Words from that Welsh radical Unitarian Yolo Morganuk. These words of prayer, first in Welsh and then in English. Dyrwyddiw dynawdd ag Nerth, ag yn nerth deall, ag yn neall gwybod, ac yn gwybod, gwybod y cyfiawn, ac yn gwybod yn cyfiawn ei garu, ac o garu caru pob hanfod, ac am hob hanfod caru dyw, dyw a phob. Dione. Give us, God, your protection, and in your protection, strength, and in your strength, understanding, and in understanding, knowledge, and in your knowledge, the knowledge of what is right, and in the knowledge of what is right, the love of it. 
and in the love of it, the love of all creation. And in the love of all creation, to love God, God and all goodness. Amen.